Hello and welcome to Inspiring the Pack, a Bright Wolves podcast series where we bring to the forefront important conversations about sustainability and entrepreneurship. Bright Wolves is a management consulting firm in Belgium, and in this season, we speak to the finalists of the 2020 Bright Wolves Sustainability Challenge, which recognized Belgian startups who are actively engaging in sustainability through their business offering. So without further ado, let's get into the show. So welcome on the Bright Wolf Sustainability Podcast Series. I'm here today with Chris van der Woerd, uh, CEO and founder of Juno. Uh, hello, Chris. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So Juno is a company that builds and sells uh, reusable uh, walls for offices. Thanks to your offer, therefore, offices, uh, companies have new possibilities to shape their, their office space in a way. Then I would like you to explain, please, how does actually Juno changes those uh, office spaces uh, organization? Okay. Um, with Juno, we, we deliver those aesthetical and movable walls. And the big change that we have done compared to a classical wall that you use in an office is that our wall is, is reusable at the end of its life. So every component of our system is reusable. And it's reusable in such a method that it's actually more economical to reuse the system than throw it away. And this means that every wall that we have installed will not end up in the garbage bin, but will be reused. Because even if they don't know it, so they've, if another owner owns the wall, it's going to be less expensive to reuse it than to throw it away. And this is the essence that we do differently with other systems. Integrated in the design is a method of reusability. Mm -hmm. But so it's common that office spaces change thanks to those walls. What kind of freedom does it give to companies? Typically, companies, they, they think a lot about their office design. They think about the aesthetics, about how to get people productive. They think about the movability a little bit. They try to get it into one design. And then it's a lot of work to do that. And what we offer them is actually because it's so fast and easy to install, you know, and to replace it, they don't need to do the thinking work anymore. You just build the situation as is, the best situation for your team today. And in the future, you simply adapt it. You unclick it, re-click it, and in one day, your office can be remodeled to another situation. And this means that it's much faster, easier method of working than thinking everything through five times before starting. You just start with it. Indeed, because I see now in, in offices a, a trend that is a bit opening wide spaces and making a no, no fixed desk policy, so to say. This is, this is something that didn't exist two years ago, right? But now it, it's, it's a bit the, the new norm. Uh, the new norm is indeed those open offices, the open spaces. But the big issue with open spaces is that it actually lowers productivity. Uh, people like Theo Compernola have proven with, with scientific research and testing on the field that teams that have an open offices produce up to 40% less efficient than teams that are in a more divided, more mm -hmm. um, brain-friendly environment. It's about an open office is too much input for the human brain, too much people talking, visual input, mm -hmm. And this lowers your productivity. So there was a huge trend because it's very cheap. It's very cost efficient to have an open office, no walls, smaller offices. That's 
it was a huge trend. But the trend has backfired a bit, and a lot of companies are were already switching back from the open office to a more activity-based environment. And even now with the COVID crisis, that kind of design is, is completely dead right now. The open office is dead. Mm-hmm. So now it will come the new office with the walls that you can move around, right? Yes. Yes, and we are very happy with that, of course, because we offer a solution for that. Uh, but the nice thing about an open office was that you could change instantly. A team changed, so you, you moved some tables, you put them together, and you have formed a new team. Mm-hmm. With the classical systems, it's not possible. It's just way too much work to change an office. And this is actually the, the problem that we solve. The, the ease of building, rebuilding, should be incredibly high. Only then you can have a comparable advantage as the open offices for the teams. Yeah, that's. I think it's really interesting. And we'll come back actually to how, how you make those walls so easily movable, adaptable and uh, and reusable, for sure. Uh, I just want to, to touch upon a bit, so the value you provide to companies, so the, this ability to reshape their office easily. You claim you do it faster than, than other provider, classic walls. Well, classic walls, of course, because you have to build them, but I'm sure you have other competitors that do this kind of offer. And you also do it with zero waste. I think this is really interesting. And, and I would like to hear a bit more on how you provide this, this value. Um, yeah, to avoid waste, what we have designed are modules that are telescopic. So, so they slide open and they click into each other. And those telescopic elements means that you don't need to cut them, you don't need to measure them. And thus, while you're building it, you don't need to throw away parts that you cut off of profiles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then also the look and feel of the wall, it is interchangeable. So you can change it, you can upgrade it over time. You need to see it like this. If you start with a nice white wall, it can become a black wall, it can become a printed wall. We can change the look and feel over it over time without throwing everything away. That's That's the essence. Okay. And in our business model, we make this hard by actually buying back our system. So for every wall that we sell, we give the, the the building owner the option to just simply sell it back to us. So if they can't reuse it themselves, we buy it back and we sell it to another vendor, to another party. Yeah. Okay, which creates this uh, circular economy, uh, zero waste uh, value. And this is great. Yeah, I really love the, the value and then I really see it uh, uh, being used in companies. I think that's, uh, that's clear. So how did it all start and when did you think, okay, I should uh, produce reusable walls if that's how it happened? <laughs> it, it, yeah, I'm an industrial engineer. I did studies about uh, product design and my thesis was about interior walls. So my passion for interior walls was created more than 15 years ago when I did my thesis. And then after two years in the field, I had the, the luck to start a company called B-Matrix in uh, Rusalare. And they make movable and interior walls for the stand building and event sector. So it's a sector, it used to be, you built a stand or an event and you throw it all away. And it's completely shifted the last two decades to completely using reusable systems. And one of the most forefront running companies in the world in that niche sector is B-Matrix. And I had to look to start there to do, actually, it was a small company, to start there as a technical drawer, designer. Mm -hmm. I programmed my job away and I got the responsibility for R&D, for IT, and even eventually for uh, purchasing. And I combined those three jobs, those operational jobs, 
over the time for the seven years I was there. And the company grew from three to uh, 25 million. So it was a crazy expansion. Mm -hmm. But for me, slow because I wanted to go back to the real world, to the real of, uh, to the real walls, uh, as I've seen with my uh, thesis. So that's why I started the company. Mm -hmm. I've seen success in one company and I just took the elements of success from the one company and started my own company. Complete different rule, different market, but I took those elements with me. Mm -hmm. So you, you experienced the company scaling up and now it's something you will reproduce in your company. You are reproducing as, a, as I believe. Yeah, I want to do it 10 times faster than my old bosses. This was, it's a kind of a competition. Yeah. We did it really well from 3 million to 50 millions in less than 10 years. So it's really exceptionally well. But I don't want, I want to go five times or 10 times as fast. <laughs> so this is it's my ambition. Yeah, you, you aim high. Yeah, great ambitions. Well, well, with great ambitions comes also great challenges, right? So I want you to explain a bit what were your, the biggest challenges when starting this project to, to have a viable solution. I think the, the, the biggest issue for me is actually finding the team and building a team that, that can run with you because you can't build a company like this if you're alone. Um, you need to find mm -hmm. a team, but it's unbelievable difficult if you have that crazy dream of scaling extremely fast, but you don't have yet a product, you don't have a market, you don't have any client, nobody believes you. So it's an unbelievable difficult feat in the beginning You're alone, but you believe in it, but you need to co start convincing people. And that's a very slow startup, actually. Mm -hmm. And that's I think, the most difficult part in the first years. It's finding people that they, that they want to go with you. And that was very difficult. And, and how did you overcome it, actually? Worked very hard, very much to achieve the, the first milestones. And the first milestones are technical certification, that your product is completely certified within the building world. Uh, you need to have your first mm -hmm. client, your first revenue. And what I then did, and I think it's, it was a smart move, I raised capital. So I, with my first certifications, first clients, I went to investors and I really said, this is my dream. Give me the money, actually, or, or please invest in Juno. And we're going to build a team. We're going to get the right people to scale this thing. And this is, this mm -hmm. is essential because then you can give employees, uh, you can give them a decent salary. You can give them, uh, you can say to them, okay, I have the money. I can pay you for two years. Okay, after that, mm -hmm. figure it out. We're going to need to be smart with it. But at least I can give you certainty for two years. And I can give you a great story to believe in and to work on it. And if you succeed, you're going to get the results of it. You're going to be the person that builds together with that team that built a company. And a lot of young people really like that idea to be able to have impact, to be able to change how we build walls or actually change the world a bit. That's what they mm -hmm. try to do. And they want mm -hmm. to get paid for it as well. <laughs> of course. A founder wants to do that for free and believes that in 10 years he will get money for it. Most people are a little bit more sensible about that. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. But as you say, uh, having a purpose on top of it is really a game changer uh, for, for younger generation. So this sustainability purpose to do good, actually. So Yeah, and it's simple. It's um, The company is called Juno because my two kids are called Jules and Noor. So, so it's, mm -hmm. it's a combination of their names. And this is for me essential. 
And with the global climate crisis that is going on, we are the generation that needs to solve the issues that have been created the last decades. There was a huge, or there is a huge important business model of, of fossil fuels. It has generated enormous prosperity, but it has backlash against us with the climate crisis going on. And we as a generation, we need to find new business models, new methods of making money that stop or change that current flow. And then you need to have passion to do it because it's unbelievably difficult to do that. And my passion is interior walls, so I can do it with interior walls. And I really hope everybody else who has another passion than the inside of walls can go for it as well and new business models. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's, what you say is a pattern I noticed. So doing this sustainability challenge, I, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of founders like you that had a passion and that were driven into having a sustainable impact to their passion in business. And it's a pattern I saw uh, in everything. We, we talked with Omega Bar, the fish aquaculture company, with someone who founded that was passionate about the sea and, and fish farming and noticed what was going wrong in this industry and tried to change it since I think he did a PhD before starting his company. So it's a process of eight years before really having a, an impact. So, so it's a long-term investment. It's driven by something else than money. Of course, money plays a role, but it's driven by having the opportunity to do change. And it's something it's really exciting to see that a lot of people are conscious of what they can impact uh, in terms of sustainability. And they're thinking, how can I do it in what I am after? And this is something I see now with you. This is something I see with other founders. And I think at least it's a great example for future generation. And I hope and I believe business will more and more look uh, like this, that you will think in terms of having a sustainable impact before making uh, as much money as possible. Yeah, and, and it's also, if you're honest, if you're creating a, a company today that it has no positive impact or even negative impact, within 10 to 20 years, it's going to be illegal. It, I cannot believe that the younger generation is smart enough. And we see the effects. Once those old people just all die and, and that, that room that for us and they, they lose their votes, politics will change. It, they can't mm-hmm. sustain this anymore. And things that were normal 10, 20 years ago will be forbidden. It's like it was normal to have uh, lead inside the uh, petrol. It, it, it were the most crazy things were normal 20, 30 years ago. And every time things get forbidden. So if you're now starting a company that's not sustainable, then maybe in 10, 20 years you could have built a beautiful company, but it's going to be worthless because it's forbidden to do that company. Mm-hmm. You can fight politics and you can say, oh, it's a stupid uh, government and so on. But actually, it's very simple. You made the wrong company. You made the wrong decision 20 years ago. You need to make mm-hmm. the right decisions today, and then you're going to scale endlessly. That's a, indeed, it will become a strategic move. Thank you for the bridge, talking about scaling. So now we saw uh, starting up your idea, it was really difficult to gain the, the resources in terms of human capital and gathering people around your idea. This worked out gladly. And now you're in more uh, scaling phase. What are the, the challenges now in, in this phase? I guess they are very different from at the beginning. Yes, again, it's team. I think it's everything is team, but it's team and uh, two things. It used to be that everything I did I was myself. So I could discuss with myself. I knew everything. Mm-hmm. And now you need to make sure that everybody knows exactly what you're doing and how they are relating to each other. 
and how one person can aid another person to get his target. So you need to build a team and you need to get that working together. So even that we are a small company, we had some struggles with, with islands of people working in their own silo and not working together. So we needed to break that down and, and move forward. So that, that was an important lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. important that you have excellent people, high-end people pulling this and doing more than the extras to achieving the goal because it's so difficult to do that. It's not easy to find those people that have excellent skills. And if they are not excellent, we already also said goodbye to some people. It's a tough world, but you need to be honest in that. You need to get your goals. And if you can't reach your goals by one person, you need to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. It's a chain. Everybody needs to be up to game in the chain. It's, it's so important. So that's one big challenge. And also a big challenge is when you're scaling, you need to really stop thinking like a startup. In the beginning, I was a startup. You try to find and hack your way into everything and then you do everything to just get around. But now we, we stop even calling us ourselves a startup or a scale-up. We're just a fast-growing company. So it's important to throw away that startup mentality and just go for a fast-scaling, uh, trustworthy company because this is now more essential than, than before. Mm -hmm. Indeed. I think this is very valuable for a lot of companies growing. Uh, but not easy, huh? right? Because with a startup mentality, that's how you manage to make everything work at the beginning, to be agile, flexible, and have a lot of informal conversation, exchange of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but indeed, when you want to grow, you need this, uh, those processes and organization uh, structure to make sure everything is trustworthy. And I really like what you say in terms of uh, having goals and making sure your goal uh, helps another person's goal to together reach a higher goal. Very briefly, how, how do you organize this within Juno? We have tried a little bit of OKR, so objectives and key results, like also Google has done. Now, my experience with this is, Google started with using it if they were with 40 people. And I think it's an excellent tool if you're 40 people. Now we are with uh, 10 people in Juno, so it's not an excellent tool. Uh, what we actually mm -hmm. do is we use a simplified version of it, and it's, it's just a simple milestone planning. So we have a milestone mm -hmm. planning. What are the big milestones for marketing, and for the market, that's marketing and sales, for the product, for the financial timeline, and for the team timeline? We have a, a strategic element over the next five years. What are we going to do? And it's actually very simple. You find money, you build a team with the team, you increase your product range and you grab more markets. And then you find new money and you build a team. It's, it's a simple loop that you make. Mm -hmm. But you can also do that a six-month period. And that is what we have done. So for the key aspects of a company, production, R&D, sales, marketing, all those key as aspects, people have responsibilities and they say to each other, these are the steps I'm going to take in the next six months. And by then I'm going to take that step. And what you get is actually a team that's going to help each other out to reach certain milestones. Because sometimes, all of the time, something runs wrong and every time conflicts arise and issues arise. And then as a team, you say, okay, we're going to help this person now for a week or for two weeks, getting to reach his goal, that he is on time with his goal. And then in a few weeks later, maybe they're going to help me and, and reach my goal. And this is what I try to, to achieve, that people work together to reach each other's goal. And I think that's essential 
and it's all I, I've learned it from other companies. It's essential to go through this phase and to structure it. Great. And so far, it has done uh, wonders for Juno, right? Uh, yes, I think in one year we have added 10 people and one year ago we were only active in Belgium, in Flanders, and now we're going to go also in the UK, um, in Sweden, in France. So, so in one year we have done crazy things actually. That's great to hear. So now we see a bit how, how Juno works from the inside and, and the offer it has for the market. I want to focus a bit now on the customers. So how did the customer react to your products? How are they reacting now? And also, how is sustainability playing a role in this customer acceptance? To be honest, we don't use the sustainable input a lot with our clients. Only with architects that are interested in sustainability, we talk about it, and, and the big corporates that, that have issues with it. But most of the people don't care about the environment, and you need to be honest about it. They do not care. Mm-hmm. But they do care about the flexibility, about time it takes to build walls, the, the productivity of their team, the aesthetics, they care about that. So if we sell mm-hmm. our system, we sell it based on those arguments. Speed, uh, look and feel, acoustic values. And the final thing is actually, we call it total cost of ownership. Because you can reuse it, it is cheaper on the long run. That's that's the final aspect in our element. And based on that, you can say it's, it's durable. And only then they say, okay, nice, it's green. So Mm-hmm. I, I've i tried to pitch it with a green hat on it, but you can't get sales. Nobody cares. I always think about the ice bear. You have the ice bear on the on the polars and the, always this ice is melting, but who cares? He has no money. He has no, no If the ice bear would be very rich, he would mm-hmm. solve the issue very quickly. You just pay people and they solve his issue, but th- that is not, not the thing. So, so you need to find a real, real short-term problems, find a solution for that, and then make sure that your solution doesn't create new problems and better reduces the problems that are already on the long term. Mm-hmm. Indeed, it's a pattern we notice with other founder of sustainable startup as well, that the, the primary value they bring is not sustainability in a way, and that customer care more about their personal benefits first than the, the planet benefits. So It's normal that you see that because you're interviewing the scale-ups right now. So every mm-hmm. startup that does not seen through that, that's stuck by the, the aspect that needs to be green first and all the rest, they never get to this phase. Mm-hmm. The important lesson, you need to take it to the step, otherwise you'll get stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a very valuable lesson to anyone listening to us and, and wanting to start disrupting a market. So so that's great. So indeed, the, the primary value should be solving a problem of the customer. And then the icing on top of it is doing it in a sustainable manner. Yes, indeed. And then you would gain value, I guess, from inside your company as well. You will have engaged employees. Those kind of interaction that we have right now, it's still thanks to Juno's sustainable engagement. Yeah. So the value is not primary from customer point of view, but everything that goes around it. Yeah, indeed. It's a second underneath loop. And you can, running a company or starting up a company, it's just hard. You need to work very hard, many hours, and it you get... A lot of no's. It's actually 99% of no and then 1% of yes. And then you need to build it on that. So, so it's it's like a fighting a boxing game uh, against uh, Muhammad Ali, for instance. I would really get beat up really hard. And you st- just need to just stand up and, and re- stand up again and stand up again. So it's hard to do that. And if you have a reason why you're doing it, for me, it's very clear. That's why it's called Juno. If you're gotten beat down again, you stand up because you think, if I don't do this, I have no impact. 
and what I'm going to do. This, this gives you a lot of motivation and you need that motivation to keep on moving, to put, keep on pushing. Otherwise, you don't succeed. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's very valuable, I believe. Very, very valuable. Then, if we think about the customer a, a bit further, how do you reach out to them? Because I, I think you're doing B2B uh, so far, I imagine. And yeah, it's a complicated channel, right? It's construction is hard. If you can solve the, the world climate crisis with software, please do that. That's much easier mm -hmm. than hardware. Hardware is hard. So that's the first thing that you also need to take away with you. Yeah, what we do is we try to reach firstly the building owners themselves. So we do this with uh, digital marketing. Just if they type something in Google about interior walls, they get to us. Uh, so, so that's a main uh, channel of leads. And another mm -hmm. channel of leads is actually going to the sustainability event. The circular economy is really booming in, um, in Europe. So going to those events and talk about it Talk about how your solution fits in this new trend of circular economy. And, and this generates a lot of leads as well. And mm -hmm. secondary wave will be when we've got clients that are demanding for the system or we have architects that prescribe it, then the contractors will follow. That's how we mm -hmm. do it. And, and that's how it works, actually. Yeah, it works well. Okay. If this uh, reshaping the, the office space becomes something very trendy and that customers, the, the building users, uh, really want, is it something they could also in-house themselves and actually try to gain uh, the market there? Yeah, but then you're talking about uh, the big real estate developers. So you have the mm -hmm. big real estate developers in Belgium, Banimo, Befimo, um, even Whitewood. Those companies, they see the value of offering a complete fully fitted office to the, the to the market so that they can completely give a complete solution to their clients that rent an office in their buildings mm -hmm. they see a lot of value systems at Suno because it's it's and for instance with whitewood and also those other parties we are already in their showrooms so in the showroom of those big real estate developers, there is standing Juno and they showcase their clients. This is how your office is going to look. And they do this because actually the building time of Juno is so short that they can rent out their office more often. So every week that they can have more rental income, it's a huge advantage. All right. And it's also for a classical building owner, an SME or a smaller office, uh, up to a few hundred people, they care about the money first. So they don't want to pay one euro extra. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to pay more. You pay the same price as a classical wall, but then they get it faster. They can move it. It's green. It looks good. They have all those advantages. And this is how we convince them. But you first need to convince them that it doesn't cost more because most people think mm -hmm. sustainability, green, oh, it's going to cost more. It is not true. It is not more uh, expensive. This is difficult to explain, of course, but <laughs> and you need a, a proven track record, I guess. Yes, it's trust. Eh? It's and everything you do in a company, I think it's based on trust. You need to have the trust of people from the market, and that's why the, the struggle in the beginning was uh, the first clients, the first certification element. That's actually you build elements of trust, and with that you get investors on your side. And with their trust, you get employees on your side. And then you get people on your side. And it's always a loop of trust that you build up on top of each other. And you you need to focus on the trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
then you create an ecosystem then with those partners and with yeah there is a good book about it the speed of trust and, and there's crazy examples in the market about how fast you can grow a company if you have the trust of everybody mm-hmm. yeah it was written by the son of the one who wrote the seven habits yes yeah indeed yeah both books are recommended by the way i don't know if they helped you in, in building your company uh, yes, uh, the seven habits of a highly effective people of Stephen Kofi is a must read. If you want to start a company, you need to read that one. Uh, just if you mm-hmm. want to be productive in life, just read the first chapter. Don't care about all the rest, but read the book. Um, go to YouTube, see a movie about it. But it's so essential. You need to have that proactive way of thinking if you want to run a company. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 I think, the first book you need to read if you want to start something. No, that's weird. And then the speed of trust to gain other people's trust. Yeah, that's that's a nice book. But the seven habits is really, really, really good. It's true. We actually we have a workshop around it in our company. So I approve. I validate. Then you mentioned your ambitions of uh, growing uh, ten times faster than your former boss. That's yeah. that's a great benchmark. I want to see with you what are the ambitions of of Juno over the next five, ten years. But it's very simple. The company is called. It's made for Jules and Noor, for my two kids. So there's a huge global climate crisis going on. And within one to two decades, they're going to suffer horribly if we don't get it solved. So to get it solved, you need to have better business models where you can make a huge amount of cash with, because then you can scale it very, very quickly. And they need to have a sustainable impact. That's the long-term vision. So... The first part of that sentence is scaling very, very fast. It is making a company that is profitable, that you need to think about every aspect of a company and you need to be able to scale it fast. And how I do this compared to classical West Flemish uh, companies, because we have huge companies here in West Flanders, but they are all in, and this is another book that's also a must read or not, again, read the summary, but you have wealth and control. It's the founder's dilemma. You can basic company founded on wealth or on control. And in control, you're going to build it step by step. And you, with the money that you earn, you invest more and you bootstrap and you do it step by step. And you can grow very successful companies, but it takes, it goes slower. You have more control. You're the boss. You have 100% of the shares. It goes slower. If we want to succeed in solving climate crisis, we need to go faster. And then you need to go for the wealth approach. And this is being open for capital, being open for losing control. I do not care about having all the control in the world. I share stock options with employees. I want them to be a part of the company. And this is a completely different round of working. And it's a method of working. And it's also it's a crazy thing. Eh? It's it's you, you raise capital and then you burn it as quickly as possible to raise more capital, to burn it as quickly as possible and to speed up the process. But this is important that everybody who is busy with a sustainable business should think about it. Because if you have a sustainable business and you can build it to 50 million euros in 30 years, you have no impact in the world. You have really no impact. If you want to change the world, you need to scale like crazy and you need to make the big corporates very scared of you and i think a lot of people as uh, as us really look at elon musk and things that he is doing and with with, with the tesla and so on those are the examples how you can change industries they, they are very tiny if you're being honest 
but in making a lot of people scared. And this is what you need to do. And for this, you need to scale as fast as possible so that they say, oh, we're going to get scared of those people with their sustainable offering. And we're going to just start copying them or just doing the same. And then the, the market is transitioning. I don't think we're going to change the world if people think in control methods. You need to think in the wealth methods like described in the Founders Dilemma. So again, okay. do that and then... Uh, <laughs> there will be some uh, materials for the people listening to us, further research materials. But I think it's a great vision you share. Actually, that's how startups like Uber, I'm thinking about other startups, the, the Californian startup have this characteristical trait of doing scale-ups, burning all the cash as fast as possible and raising a, a lot of cash. And yeah, and it's not burning it fast as possible. It's just driving as fast as possible. How can I go faster? How? What can I do? to speed up what kind of and this is what we need to do because again the timing is against us we have one generation left to solve the issue so we need to think about speed it's more important than everything else it's just speed mm -hmm. and, and in that sense then how can uh, stakeholders future partners support sustainable uh, startups to speed up like you described and, and juno actually Give them your trust. You maybe doubt a little bit. Is this the right solution? And is because it's it's something new. And and does this work? And it does. I'm not going to pay too much. And, and will they exist in 10 years? You have all those reasons why you shouldn't buy from a startup. But just give them your trust. Give them the opportunity to do this. Give them a little project, something where they can start with. If you are a sustainable manager of a big corporate, you can have huge impact by giving somebody just. Five walls. I had to look, for instance, from the VDAB in Belgium. Really in the beginning, the big boss from facility management said, oh, you know what, you can do one wall with us. And after one month, the wall was already demantled. But I used that movie for two years. Every time, over and over again, it created a lot of trust. So by that simple act, and it was, for her, it was no investment. It was nothing to, to do. But it generated a huge amount of trust and boosted my company a lot. And I'm very grateful. And this is what you need to reflect. If you see such as a small company, just give them your trust. Go for it. Don't do too difficult and move fast. Don't talk about it for months and months. Move for it. Say, We're going to do something small. Go for it. This is, mm -hmm. I think, essential for everybody. Yes. Great advice. And now in, the, in this position Juno is now, what could future partners do to help Juno grow uh, even faster or larger? They can always buy from us. It's always nice. If you need to have a, an office divide, it's just buy from Juno or just Google Juno. But I think it's even more impactful if, as a building owner, you say to your stakeholders, to the architect, to the design and build companies, to uh, the contractors, that you just demand a sustainability. And you say, look, I want to have a sustainable office. Give me solutions that are sort of sustainable, but not more expensive than the other solutions. And if you demand that, And for interior walls, you could say, for example, Juno, that is going to generate a lot of uh, effect as well, is that you put that circular economy demand or that sustainable demand in your wish list. Of course, they may not be more expensive. This is most also very important. Demanded from, and because then, for instance, if you buy one wall, that's not going to change the world. But if you ask other people to investigate in a company, in a startup or a scale-up like Juno, and they need to investigate it and they need to test it and they build it, then you're building an ecosystem that's much, much broader, much wider. So, so it's, mm -hmm. it's about uh, you creating a leverage 
you're not buying just a simple wall and, and 10,000 euros of cash for Juno, but you, you're creating multiple people that have interested and, and you're building an ecosystem. And this is important. Mm-hmm. This is going to scale up a company much faster than, of course, sales is also fun. Eh? So don't hesitate to buy, but it's all about creating a leverage. Yes. So requesting this sustainable uh, aspect as a standard. Yes, it, it is it's very, very, and it should also for be, for instance, for in schools, it should be like, it needs to be firstly sustainable. Is it sustainable? Yes or no? And then we look at all the rest. It, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be a parameter that you get points on it. It needs to be a yes or a no. Yeah. I believe very well in, in schools where they educate designers, for instance, Every design that a student delivers that is not sustainable on the long term, he always needs to be have zero zero points. Very simple. Because how must I say? It's the minimum. And everything else, how it looks and how smart it is and so on, that's the bonus. And, and how you should also do your procurement. There is a minimum bar and everything else is on top of it. But if you don't reach the minimum of sustainability, no way. For instance, within my company... I will never, nobody may drive in an unsustainable car. Everybody has electric cars. I will not mm-hmm. accept the fact that you can, even if whatever, it is just, it didn't match the level of sustainability. So we don't do it. And this, mm-hmm. uh, this, this could have huge effects and just throw away all the old norms and, and so on. Look at, the, look at the real world today and base, base yourself on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great piece of advice. We were also trying to do the same at the, at our company, Brightwells, to to switch to electric cars because indeed you have to walk the talk. Yes, and and I started my company five years ago, and this was one of the main elements. And also, every investors, I'm very clear about it. I will not do that. I will stand on my head that you can do whatever you want, but I will never do something like this. And it's also fun to do that because then you can, for instance, with a supplier or a, a new candidate, somebody wants to work for Judo, I ask those questions. And then it's weird because they don't are not used to have those questions asked. And you create impact because then suddenly a supplier needs to think about sustainability and such like that. And if, if mm-hmm. multiple companies would do that, they would all think about more about sustainability. And this is, again, it's a leverage effect with every new employee. If you ask them, what are you doing about sustainability? And do you create awareness? It's true. It's true. Make sustainability a standard. Yeah, indeed. Um, I'm curious also, do you see a Juno solution affecting the B2C market? Yes, that's the next step. So we already have a small prototype testing going on in the region of Kortrijk. So Juno wants point BE. And and we are also testing that already right now. Because especially Mm -hmm. for young people buying a house, they need to pay for everything. So what we say is, don't pay for the walls on your upper floor. Just create a big man cave, enjoy it for a, for a few years, and then the kids come. And when the kids come, just build the walls when it's needed. So you don't need to invest them in the beginning. Build them when you need it. And then when your kids go away, because 10, 15 years later, they're gone, or 20 years later, they're gone. And then you remove the walls, and then you have your man cave back. And, and this, uh-huh. this is another way than classical building, but we believe there is a huge market and a huge potential for this. Do you see a world where the houses will be built in the future just with the external walls and then everything arranged inside will be something... Uh... Yes, 
Yeah, if you're talking about what is your end goal with Juno, I want to create the materials, building goods, where you can build the outside of a house, a CO2 negative, so that you can capture all the CO2 that you are emitting, that your parents have emitted, that your grandparents have emitted, that needs to be captured in the outside of a house, because that is going to stand there for hundreds of years. And then the interior of the house should be completely flexible so that you can adapt to it. When in each state of your life, you can just simply adapt, be flexible. That is how I believe the future of residential housing will be. This is my thesis of 10, 15 years ago. And this is what I want to achieve. So, so this, it's a step-by-step thing. We're doing the interior walls now, but in the future, we'll, you, we will evolve. That's great. That's great. Well, we're uh, reaching a bit the end of this podcast, but we already said so many uh, valuable things. So I want to thank you for sharing those stories, those insights, and also, I think, giving uh, hope and motivation to people who also want to engage in this kind of adventure. I also want to let you the opportunity to, to reach out more people with this solution because I believe it's a great solution. So for everybody listening, so Chris van der Waal is from Juno. I guess they can add you on LinkedIn or, or reach out to you in any way. Yes, indeed. Yes. And thank you very much for doing this effort to, to showcasing sustainable companies to your audience. I think it's very valuable. Yeah, thank you. It's our pleasure and thanks a lot for participating. So. So this creates, again, an ecosystem for us. It's great to hear the stories, to learn a bit more about those sustainable uh, startups because it's still uh, ovni in the, the business landscape, but I guess it will become the new norm and we're really pushing for it. So, so it's great to have those stories to share and to be able to, to, to get to know uh, this ecosystem. So, so thanks a lot, Chris. I uh, wish you all the best with Juno and uh, I hope that in 20 years I will have a house that has no internal fixed wall and I can move around. Yeah. We will do our best to, to achieve that. Thank you very much. Great. Bye, Chris. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiring the Pack. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or why not share it with a friend or colleague? For more information, please visit our website at www.brightwolves.com where you can find out more about our expertise, insights, and how to get in contact. And if you would like to get in touch with our guests for this episode, you can also find their information in the show notes below. See you next week. Mm -hmm.